For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of the Scouting Football Podcast. Uh, we're off to Spain for this one uh, to recap what's been happening in La Liga at the beginning of this season uh, through that under-23 lens as per usual. Uh, for that reason, we've got David Cartledge back with us, uh, Scouted's go-to guy when it concerns anything Spanish football. Uh, never shy to share his honest opinions about players, managers and the like, uh, which is always good. Uh, it should also be said... If you go way back in the Scouted Podcast archives, it was Dave who initially drew our attention to Pedri uh, two years ago this week, in fact, which um, seems like a very long time ago. That is on episode six, uh, if you want to hear so the the infancy of the Scouted Football Podcast. But um, first off, though, Dave, how, how are things your end? I'm doing well, man. It's, uh, it's nice, to be, nice to be back. I think last time we chatted, we were potentially mid-lockdown number two or three. I can't remember. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Nice to be back on the podcast and, and neither of us in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was the, the the Valencia episode, wasn't it, where we we yeah. last we last chatted. That was a that was a good one, very intriguing. Um, we've got another sort of La Liga case study uh, involved in this episode, but uh, we thought, given that it, it's been quite a while since since we've we've last chatted, then it'd be good to do sort of a a La Liga focus type episode and and bring people yep. up to speed on what's been happening. But um, you know, I mean, what has been happening in La Liga? You know, you've got Real Madrid. Um, they, they they appear quite fun to the naked eye. You know, the thirty two goals have been scored in their eight matches, um, which is the highest of any club by some margin in La Liga this season. Um, the 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 unraveling of Barcelona seems to continue in some sort of very slow pantomime. Uh, and and we've also got some surprise packages in sort of Osasuna and Rayo Vallecano, both starting the season very strongly with five wins apiece. Uh, and and at the bottom of the table, Getafe suffering a bit of a post Bordalas hangover with no wins and seven defeats in their opening nine games. Um, but I mean, just generally, how how has the the beginning of the La Liga season been been for you, David? Yeah, this one was always going to be extremely interesting because I guess the main thing over the summer was uh, Messi leaving, of course, and. Real Madrid, uh, they didn't land Mbappe, so they didn't land the superstar sort of thing. So the league was put itself in a, an intriguing position, I think, at the start of the season um, with no main star. And, and don't get me wrong, Karim Benzema is, is wonderful and he's very much, you know, he's, he's about the face of La Liga right now. But um, there, was, there was no, you know, that, that, that big, big superstar, you know, um, that, that they sold their league on. Um, and that was always going to be interesting. And... Um, yeah, I think you've got a lot of teams just kind of figuring out still who they are, um, what they're going to be about. And then you've kind of probably got Atleti and Villarreal who are in a, in a position of uh, familiarity and uh, consistency under the regimes that they, are, they had before um, and are looking to build on that. So, yeah, it was always going to be a, a, a really, really intriguing one, I think, to see how things uh, start. Yeah, before we get into today's case study, and that is Villarreal, uh, as you just touched on there, um, I, I would like to just discuss who some of the players that have, uh, have come to the fore at the beginning of this season uh, have been, um, because I think the big one that, that most people who are plugged into sort of the under-23 sphere uh, that we'll, they'll be uh, aware of is, is Gavi, uh, who's obviously come through at, at Barcelona and, and is now, I mean, he's playing a, a reasonable amount of minutes uh, in that first team under Ronald Koeman and 
I think it's one which definitely took a lot of people by surprise. Uh, but you've also got the likes of, you know, Vinicius Jr., who obviously has been around for, for, for some time, but is now sort of becoming a, a protagonist at Real Madrid uh, alongside Karim Benzema, as you mentioned. Um, another one similar to, to Vinicius, uh, Unai Vencedor at the Athletic Club, um, who is, has been, you know, he, he played around 28, 29, roughly that sort of many games last season. But this year has, has by my estimations, uh, started very well. Uh, and there's also a Villarreal player in there as well, Jeremy Pino, uh, who uh, is, was recently called up to the Spain squad as well. Um, but I mean, just from from your perspective, uh, and, and I'm sure it's a bit more honed than than mine. You know, who who has been sort of a well, maybe a, a standout under 23 who's who perhaps wasn't a household name beforehand in Spain. Yeah, it, it is. It's really really difficult to go away from Gavi. He's he's been that sensational. I think he's captured everybody's. I think the fact that he had those uh, UEFA Nations League games with Spain, it brought him under, you know, a wider gaze and became kind of a household name. So people know who he is now. I think during the Euros, they found out about Pedri in terms of the next, you know, uh, the next young Spanish star. And then they've been throwing Gavi as well straight away. And I thought Jeremy Pino, who we'll get on to discussing, um, also made a, a, an interesting impression. You know, a few people said to me the next day, oh, yeah, I know that talks about Gavi, but uh, Jeremy Pino looked pretty good as well. And I was like, yeah, it is the, it's an interesting one with him. So, and then I think if you look at the others, I think um, I think if you look at Vinicius Jr., um, he had a lot of criticism when he first came to Real Madrid. And, and, and I think people were just a bit, you know, they, they, over, they, they thought he was too raw and such, but he was always going to be very, very raw. And now I, I think you kind of like see him recognizing what his game is now and understanding things a bit more in terms of Real Madrid and how they play what's expected of him, I think. And he's just generally improved as well. And so I think he's been standout as well. So I think those three have been excellent. Um, you've got Luis Maximiano as well down. And, you know, again, another exciting young goalkeeper that's come to Granada. Um, of course, they had Rui Silva, uh, previously Portuguese Rui Silva, who went to Real Betis as well. Um, so he's one to watch as well. And uh, he's going to get plenty of action in that Granada goal as well when he's, uh, when he's there. So yeah, there's some, there, are, there are some interesting uh, young players now, I think, uh, around. And I think the way that the squads are as well, in terms of what the league has gone through, in terms of they can't buy too many big stars and such, it is giving a few more chances to, to younger players. I suppose that, that brings us on nicely then onto the... the um today's case study and that's Villarreal uh, as, as you were touching on on, on Jeremy Pino there um, and we'll go into a, in greater depth on him in, in, in a little while but um, it was actually quite typical because when when we were initially in the planning phases of this of this episode uh, Villarreal was still unbeaten which obviously made them uh, quite a good topic to, to discuss but uh, they were defeated uh, this past weekend just gone uh, 2-1 by Osasuna um, Jimmy Avila getting a, a goal after 21 months out injured I think that was uh, that, that was a particularly poignant moment uh, for, for Osasuna and especially for, for Chimi himself um, but Villarreal have, have you know they previously were the only or they were the last unbeaten side in La Liga this season uh, but they're 12th which might not tally with where people might have, have put them at the beginning of the season you know um, two wins five draws and, and now that one defeat uh, for them but just the five goals conceded under Unai Emery um, so I mean I, I, I'm, I'm, I guess you know, the, the question I want to know is, you know, how, how is Emery sort of readapting to life in Spain, you know, post the PSG debacle, post the, the Arsenal, um, 
debacle would have been too strong for that but um mm-hmm. you know how how it perhaps didn't pan out in the way that it was initially intended you know what I, I feel like from from sort of an anglocentric perspective on how i consume football news i feel like his reputation definitely took a dent in this country but i, f- I feel like that's not been the case with with him uh, at, at Villarreal. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, he reacted in the best way possible by bringing the trophy to them. He got that Europa League, of course, last season, um, which was which was massive for him, I think. And it's what Villarreal really, really wanted um, in terms of honours. And you know, they're still a very <laughs> they're still a very young club in the in the grand scheme of things, uh, Villarreal. So that was the ideal way for Emery, I think, to rebound after after Arsenal and and, and what happened there, I think. Um, and we now see them kind of in that next stage where there's i think there's a bit more pressure there um i think there's a bit more expectation they've spent quite a bit of money if you look at the players that they've brought in and you know the amount that they have brought in especially when uh, like i hinted at before that the market is quite stale in spain in terms of uh, in terms of you know players coming in and, and big money being spent Villarreal kind of have booked the trend the last few years and they they've they've brought several players in and uh, you know they brought when they brought danny parejo into Kind of control their midfield uh, as such, you know. They, they brought him and they brought Coquelin as well from uh, from Valencia and took advantage of their situation there. Uh, Purvis Stupinan, who was excellent, um, of course, at Osasuna, um, somebody we previewed in one of the scout book, uh, scout football handbooks as well. You know, they brought him in, and then obviously this summer Dan Juma came in as well to big money. And I always said I thought Dan Juma would have been somebody uh, going to a Premier League club. I thought he just made ideal sense for for a lot of teams. Um, there as well so yeah it's interesting to see how they are acclimatizing and i think there are, is a lot of pressure on emery and there's always been the criticism of emery it even existed when i was at Sevilla as well that he sometimes only could concentrate on one cup as opposed to um you know battle on all fronts and you can already just slightly see it now that they're they're starting to tail off a little bit um in the league they've only won twice this season after eight games which i think is really, really disappointing for a club who've spent that amount of money that they have. So they, their form has got to turn turn around rapidly. Um, otherwise, um, I think a lot of questions will be asked. Um, Emery can't keep uh, drawing games. They've, they've drawn five of their eight games. And it's just it, it's, that's just really, really disappointing, I think. And, and that's why the criticisms will always exist of Emery. Even if he wins a trophy, there are always going to be the criticisms there because sometimes he can revert to those old defensive stylings, get a little bit negative, get a bit too pragmatic. And such, and all those hallmarks have, uh, have very much been there. Yeah, I think they were some of the concerns that that Arsenal supporters had at the time when he was managing when he was managing them as well. That it it, it became a bit stagnant at times. It became a bit yeah. stale, and and you know the, there is the worry that you know when when you revert to type as a manager, then your teams then reflect sort of how you how you wanted to to set up, and that's not always helpful, especially in this case. Um, but I suppose from an under twenty three perspective, you know, obviously he has he has pedigree with with developing players and 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 having worked with with some of you know the game's up and coming best players when he was at Sevilla and the like. But um, you know, just with the squad that Villarreal have, it is it does have quite a young feel to it. Um, and you know, last season there was you know Fernando Nino who's out on loan this year, but but also Jeremy Pino who came through, obviously just touched on him and I think it, it would be good to, to get into who he is as a player you know what he's like what he brings to the to the attack um you know why why what I mean fundamentally why Luis Enrique called him up to to the Spain squad um because you know that is kind of the the biggest endorsement that you can give for a player so young um but yeah I'm, I'm just curious to to 
to know what to know more about Pino, to know more about the the dynamic of him working under a coach like Emery and and in a team which is as you say it's a, it's a young club it's a young young squad mm. in certain places uh, with Villarreal as well yeah absolutely i mean i don't think it's the ideal system for him i don't think it's the ideal time to be at Villarreal uh for him in terms of it, the style that he has, I think it suits more. I think it's, it, it suited Dan Juma way, way better. Somebody who relies a lot more um, to play on the break, that can use his pace um, on the break. And so that, that works much better for an Emery team as opposed to somebody like Jeremy Pino, who, don't get me wrong, he's got a bit of speed, but it's not what his game is about. Um, his game is about more careful technical aspects, uh, threading little passes through, playing just off the strike force. Um, and... The thing that's always struck me about him, um, I always think he, he would have really, really suited being in a, an old Villarreal team, a, a Pellegrini Villarreal uh, type team, you know, where it was uh, more technical and where it, were, where it relied on those kind of uh, South American midfielders and such. And I, I always think Jeremy Pino would have fitted in there. And, and even later on as well, it, he would have fitted in, in a, a Calleja side as well, even, you know, and they had uh, Santi Cazola there as well, you know, and I think that would have worked even better for him as well. Um, and he looks a very much a Villarreal type player when we, you know, you think of those players that have been there down the years. But at the moment, it's a little bit difficult for him to really fully express himself. Um, don't get me wrong, he's got three assists so far um, and a goal as well. But there's still, I think, a lot, lot more to, to come from him. Um, he's going to sign a new contract. The, the news this week, funnily enough, has been that he's, uh, he's got a new contract offer on the table. So he's probably going to sign a new deal there and he's going to be staying there for the next few years. Ideal time. I think I think it's ideal for him to stay there, even if Emery isn't the best coach. He'll, he will get some good coaching, perhaps not like the one that will kind of unleash him fully. But I think it's good for his development still. He's only 18, only just coming to the team. Um, I think he's going to have more of a role to play. Danny Parejo doesn't look as fit as he used to be. I don't think he's going to play as many minutes. So there's going to be a bit more of a, a reliance on on Pino to to be the creative spark. I think so. It could play into his hands quite well as the season develops. Yeah, I mentioned uh, that obviously there are elements or there are aspects of this Villarreal team who are quite young, but there are also, you know, there's a, a vast amount of experience in there as well. You know, Etienne Capu, Danny Parejo, as you mentioned, Raul Albiol. Um, you know, there are some seasoned pros, some really seasoned internationals in there who, you know, you can you can hope that even if the, the coaching element isn't, you know, too to the, you know, isn't going to maximise uh, Pino's development uh, at, at this moment in time. That there's going to be, you know, some some real, you know, solid heads in there to to be able to offer him some some words of advice to be able to to maybe coach him through games while he's on the pitch, uh, and and as well in terms of working with two centre forwards who are very very adept at scoring goals uh, in Paco Alcácer and and Gerard Moreno, you know, there are as I say elements to this to this squad which you say that you know. It, 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 it's beneficial for, for a player to be playing in this in, in this team yeah. with with those sort of chess pieces around him um but i do i do agree with what you're saying in terms of him being a more technical player whereas danjuma mm-hmm. is somebody who definitely thrives a lot more in transition um yeah. who i mean I, and to be honest i don't mind the the attack not being as balanced because uh, I mean, Pino, as you mentioned, 18 years old, um, still very much getting to grips with La Liga, to getting into grips with senior football. Danjuma, obviously, coming in from from Bournemouth this summer, he's obviously a new signing. Gerard Moreno hasn't been this, the centre forward this season as he was last year, due to you know for whatever reasons. Um, so it's it's not. I, I wouldn't say that there's there's it's the end of the world. You know, these players are going to to gel, or, or at least you'd hope mm. that they're going to gel a little bit more. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think in time they will. Um, and, and, and I think you'll see a bit more from Villarreal as the season goes on. And, and I think each player kind of like nails down their role. Um, we'll get into in a minute as well. But Samuel Chukwueze has just come back as well. He's been out since May with injury and he's only just come back into the team now as well. So he's another kind of player that you'd look at and think it'd be interesting to see his role. I think the potential of him, uh, Dan Juma and Jared Moreno all together is really, really exciting. And with Jeremy uh, Pinion just behind them as well, um, it could change a lot of things because, I mean, at the moment, Villarreal aren't even in the, the top five teams when it comes to shots per game as well. So they're not shooting much either. The Real Madrid, Betis, Sevilla, Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid are all ahead of them as well. This is despite Villarreal having a decent amount of possession. They, they've, they've had over 57%, which is the third most, but they're not generating... Um, you know, the shots per game that, that justifies that possession, what they have. Yeah, I mean, let's get on to Chukwueze now because, I mean, mm. he's he's a name which I always seem to bring up when we, whenever we do these uh, La Liga episodes because I was just so captivated by him when he first broke through at Villarreal. And, I mean, he's closing in on sort of around 100 league games for, for, for Villarreal and that's quite uh, quite ast- astonishing when you look that he was born in 1999. He's he's still 22 years old, and and yeah. obviously he has had he's had his fair share of you know spells out the side, uh, you know spells of bad form, injuries. Um, so I, I, I'm just curious to know from from your sort of your perspective where where do you where do you put Chukwueze in terms of his development? Like you know how is he getting back into this team with Pino on the right and and Danjuma on the left, and you know h- how is he going to have to adapt and and maybe to to try and force his way back into into the manager's thoughts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think just before he got injured, I thought he was just stagnating a little bit. He looked, he could have been more of a bit of a, a frustrated figure. And again, it goes back to what we've just discussed. I didn't really get the impression that he was an Emery in style, um, play, a player on the transition. He's very much an Emery player, but I think he's too expressive he, uh, for an Emery type side. I think he needs to be a bit more regimented um and he needs to work on his tracking back and such for emery to really fall in love with him and make him a, a key part of the team I, I think it might be a while before he even um becomes a regular in the team i think he's going to be very much slowly slowly ease back into the side um right now um and also dan june is playing brilliant as well and I, I'm, I'm 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 unsure whether emery will want to go straight away with them both in the team he's going to want to wear that up i think um but he's still so so young um and there's still a lot more to come from him but yeah i did feel he was just stagnating a little bit he didn't really have the breakout that i expected them to when um just before the injury um and he has been set back obviously so he just got to take his time to come back in and who knows maybe the second half of the season is perfectly set back up for him once he works back to full match fitness and such yeah, I think there's there's also the potential that for, you know, as much as we're bigging up Jeremy Pino here, that, you know, he's still, Pino still being 18 years old, you know, you have to accept that there'll be a level of variance in his performances as well, won't there? You know, there will be spells where he just maybe isn't at it at the same level that, that's required. And and obviously we hope that's not the case, but it's it's something which is a reality for 17, 18, 19 year old players, especially in yeah. a position which is maybe not completely catered to to his his natural strengths as, we, as we've already discussed. So I think there will be opportunities to see Chukwueze this season, sort of from from my perspective, and and I hope we do because you know he's he's somebody who 
you know, in in the right team with the right coaching structure, with the right uh, the right style, is is somebody who absolutely can can thrive because because of that individuality, because of that flair, as, as you mentioned, Dave. But um, I mean, you, we've spoken quite a lot about the wingers, and that's mainly because they're twenty four and under. Um, Danjuma is is a bit. Uh, a bit older than the scouted threshold, but I mean, uh, you know, we've we've got to discuss him. It's four goals in six appearances so far this season in uh, in La Liga. I think um, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but yeah, yeah, his 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 introduction to La Liga has been has been excellent, hasn't it? I mean, he's such a, I mean, at, at 24 years old, it's still still quite a quite an interesting career path he's taken. You know, came through at, at PSV, but didn't really get the opportunity there. Uh, went out to to NEC Nijmegen in in the Netherlands with native Netherlands uh, then to Club Brugge uh, but then then some people may have you know seen Club Brugge to Bournemouth as maybe a step down but it's effectively acted as a trampoline it's used as a, he's used the the, the cherries as a, as a platform essentially to to yeah. you know, bring himself up to a club of Villarreal stature you know a team who are competing regularly in Europe and, and winning um, you know winning honours essentially so I think it, it's a it's it's a good news story uh, for for Danjuma that you know throughout his developmental years he's got to a point where he's now playing regularly and playing well for a team um, even if the the style that is being played isn't you know fully uh, fully catering to to his strengths either so it's um yeah it's I, I don't know I mean I wouldn't say I've been caught by surprise because as you said I thought Danjuma would have been a great pick for for quite a few Premier League clubs you know those who. Yeah. Who def- I mean, as I mentioned earlier, who play on 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 the counter or in transition? You know, he's got that. He's just so confident when it comes to finishing. Um, and you know, having that as a as a wide forward is such such a string to your bow that you know you can go inside and you can you know the, when the when the fullback or the the the, the wide centre half tries to to face up to you, you know, you don't know which way he's going to go because he's going to be equally good on either side. Um, I think with with Danjuma's early early signs in La Liga is that I think the league is suited to him perhaps better than maybe uh, other other competitions would be um, but yeah it's 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 been positive so far hasn't it yeah it really really has uh, Villarreal's put this way Villarreal scored nine goals this season and he scored four of them I mean that just goes to show how ready you know already how much of an impact he has made and how key he actually is um, and yeah don't get me wrong Villarreal was a great great move for him the Liga brilliant league I think for for his style players like him can really have a lot of fun um, and really open up more slower technical games and he can use his attributes to his advantage incredibly so um, I, I think at one point I thought oh if, if Ivan Tony actually leaves Brentford maybe Brentford would bring in Dan Juma as his replacement that was kind mm-hmm. of what I was I, that's what I was looking at I was thinking that might be somewhere they go um, and yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's been fantastic for Villarreal. He's even outshone Gerard Moreno, um, the excellent Gerard Moreno. And uh, yeah, he looks very, very settled. And, and Emery's really liking using him and what he brings and how explosive he can be as well. Um, yeah, really impressed. And it wouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to be surprised at all if teams start, you know, just looking at him in the Premier, the Premier League, if they've got a little bit of money, um, looking at him, thinking, all right, do we maybe pay um, double what, you know, the Real paid for him, pay 40, 50 million. And what that, that probably isn't that much money these days. Um, and he might be an ideal buy for somebody. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, clubs are already looking at him again. Yeah, I mean, he was what, 25 million euros around that yeah. around that figure. I mean, 
you've got to think, I mean, that, that's a that's a bog standard sort of transfer fee for Premier League clubs nowadays, isn't it? So, um, yeah. I mean, kudos to, to VRL scouting because obviously they've, it, it's not it's not ordinary that you'd see a, a, a club who win the Europa League to, to dip into the English Championship and say, actually, you know what, this is the, this is the player who, who we want. Um, and they've, they've went and got him and, and I'm sure there will have been Premier League interest, but ultimately it's VRL who, uh, who pulled the trigger. Uh, and it's yeah. a case of, you know, Premier League sides missing out, uh, unfortunately yeah. for them. Um, and speaking of Premier League sides missing out, um, the the player on on the the right side of uh, Villarreal's defence this season, or predominantly this season, uh, has been Juan Foyth, who's obviously the Argentine international who was at who was at Spurs uh, under Jose Mourinho, but ultimately just I don't know what it was. Face didn't fit, maybe just didn't. Uh, impress Mourinho in in the way that he he might have hoped. Uh, I think there was there were a few Spurs fans who just who just wanted to see more of him to to get a, a better gauge of where he was best because I think in England he was typically seen as more of a, a right sided centre half. But this yeah. season with with Villarreal he's he's obviously been playing as a as a right back. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to to know from you, Dave, like how, how I mean, does it does it appear just why was he never used as a right back for Spurs? You know, given how mm-hmm. how, how well documented it was the the woes that they had with Serge Aurier. Yeah, it, it's remarkable to me. Um, it I'd go as far. I mean, first and foremost, before we get into discussing his position, I'd probably say during Emery's time there, he has been the best player at the club. I would say outside of Gerard Moreno in terms of what he offers, he has been that good. He's been outstanding. Um, he also played as a defensive midfielder for a, a little time. And it's funny that you said these two were the positions that you wouldn't associate with him, um, you know, a defensive midfielder and as a fullback as well as a right back. Um, and he has been brilliant both times when, when he is going to the, when, in, in, or into those roles. Um, and he really hasn't let anyone down at all. And then he's really, really nailed down this right back slot. And uh, he has, he's been fantastic. He's not looked back since then. And he's, he has, he's been the best player, the most consistent player. Uh, under Emery at, uh, at Villarreal. And it happened by chance as well. You've got to say, um, when you think about it, uh, it was a case of injuries, suspensions and such, and, and a lack of form there for the players. He came in and uh, now he, he has that. He's the, the first choice right back. Yeah, I mean, he, I'm just looking at his numbers here. You know, he was absolutely integral in that Europa League run last season, wasn't he? You know, that's yeah, yeah. 12 games that he played, so that's pretty much every game in that competition. Um, on top of, you know, 16 league appearances and a couple more in, in the domestic cups as well. So, I mean, I mean, talking about Emery maybe not competing on all fronts or not being able to, but Juan Foyt certainly can. Um, but yeah, obviously that, that move was made permanent uh, this summer. He was initially on loan from Spurs and... You know, at the time, I did think, you know, he's been he's been cut a hard deal here. The fact that mm. he maybe hasn't been given a, a fair whack at at, at at starting regularly for Spurs. Um, yeah. And and now he's showing that he can do it for a Champions League club, which is ironic, given that Spurs are no longer in that competition. So it's, um yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this, the season pans out. But I'm, I'm pleased to, to hear, obviously, from you that you think he's been the, the best player for them mm. since sort of since coming in, because... Obviously, the the players that we've discussed before Foyth are obviously the ones which are the headline grabbers. But he's, he's he's by all accounts been been quite steady, and I think that's that's something that Spurs needed uh, in that position. He really understands that. And of course, I think Emery made it famous, um, kind of that double fullback um, type, uh, you know, situation when he when he did it when he was at Valencia. I remember everybody uh, marvelled at it. Um, in in the sense that you know they played Jordi Alba and uh, Jeremy Mathieu uh, mm. together, and he he's 
been brilliant in that sense there. He can play as a fullback and he also gallops up the line as well. But I think first and foremost, and this is always so important for Emery, is that um, he has just retained that defensive solidity that Emery looks for so, so much. Um, and he puts defensive actions before um, attacking actions. But he's been very, very comfortable on the ball as well. I think that's why Emery likes him as well. A lot of their play comes down that right side and it, it very much does start um, with, with Fife. And uh, yeah, he has it. He, he's been fantastic. I think it was 15 million, uh, the the buyout it was um, to, to execute the loan uh, to make it permanent. And yeah, he's he's been a bargain for that. He really has. But you, I, I always think in, in the Premiership, uh, the time you get to um, showcase your ability um, is, is very, very limited. He wouldn't have got a chance to, you know, I think he played defensive midfield uh, for a, in, in some games for Spurs as well, as well as centre-back. But he was never really given a, a full amount of time to, to develop, I think. And mistakes get highlighted a bit more. Um, he's obviously a young player as well, so he's seen as naive and such. But he's been very, very reliable for Villarreal. Hasn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a pressure cooker at times in the Premier League, isn't it? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, time to get on to some season predictions then. Uh, and just La Liga in general, obviously looking at the table uh, in its current state, you know, you've mm. got Real Sociedad who at the time of recording are top of the table. Uh, but uh, by three points be- below them, you've also got Real Madrid, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid and Osasuna all on 17 points. Um, if Real Madrid win their game in hand, uh, even if Sevilla win their game in hand or, or Atleti win their game in hand, they would you know, go above Real Sociedad on goal difference. But um, obviously, good start to the season from all those sides. Barcelona mm. currently sat in seventh with Real Betis and Athletic Club uh, below them. Valencia, you know, separating the the, to- the two halves in 10th. Uh, Villarreal, as we mentioned, in 12th. And then we were looking towards yep. the bottom end of the table. The, the teams without wins so far, you've got Levante uh, and Hetafe. Uh, between them, sandwiched in 19th is Alaves, uh, who have won one and lost seven. So I think the table is very, very polarised at the moment. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know what your your expectations for, for the end of the campaign will be. Yeah, I mean... There's a couple of surprise packages up there. I think Osasuna, Rayo, who are in fifth and sixth, respectively. Um, I think they'll eventually drop down. I think they're playing with a lot of energy, intensity right now. They're going out with every game with such a great attitude. I think potentially the demands of the season, um, their smaller squads will hit them later down the line. So I could see them dropping down a little bit. And then Betis and Athletic Bilbao just coming up and you'll look at the table i think potentially in the new year and as the last couple of months come down to the season the the usual suspects up there so it will be very much a case of real sociedad real madrid sevilla atletico madrid barcelona uh, athletic bilbao betis just all around there and Villarreal, sorry as well Villarreal, i think should pick up as well um but again like we've, like we've touched on there i think with emery you know he needs to work out he really does need to be able to compete on all fronts because you've got to remember that year, that um, his second year, when he won the Europa League at Sevilla, the second one, um, he didn't win uh, an away game all year in the league. So that's the kind of thing that happens there sometimes with Emery. So he's got to pick up there, um, I think, a little bit. I still think the title race will be between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Before the season, in all my kind of predictions and such, I said, if anybody's going to challenge outside the usual group, it's going to be Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Real Sociedad are going to get amongst it as well. I think they're going to take advantage of just the, just the, the, the kind of the state transition that some of these teams are in. Barcelona are in one. Real Madrid are in one. 
Um, Sevilla and Atletico Madrid re and Real Sociedad really know themselves. They've now had the same manager uh, for a few years. They're very consistent. Look at Sevilla's defensive record. They've conceded three goals so far. Um, it's just, it's remarkable, really. Um, they are, you know, kind of like a, a new Atleti in terms of just, just scraping out results and, and just, just getting the job done. They won 1-0 against Celta Vigo uh, away in a, in, a, in a game that was just so, so close. Um, so, yeah, I still think it's between Real Madrid and Atleti for the title. I think the other Champions League spots, Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Barcelona... And then Real Betis and Atletico Bilbao will, will, and Villarreal will try and get those last Europa League spots. Very, very interesting. Yeah, the Sevilla this year kind of where to, to Atleti, they're like where the new improved you um, yeah. because they, they, they have been, I, would, I don't want to say miserly, and it's a word I like to use quite a lot, but they've just been really organised. And I think, you know, we, we'll probably do an episode on this further down the line about Sevilla, but, you know, when you've got the likes of, you know, Jules Koundé in there, it's, it's going to help you, isn't it? Um, but, yeah. You know, I think what you mentioned about Rayo and, and Osasuna keeping pace, you do see that in a lot of leagues where you get, you know, some early season bolters who you are perhaps are a bit unexpected. Yeah. Um, but obviously squad size and, and, you know, maybe one or two key injuries. Uh, and this is universal. You, know, you see it across loads of leagues. You know, they can just completely throw you off and you lose that momentum, which has been propelling you forward. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how Barcelona obviously manage the, the rest of the season because, um, yeah, it's... It, it's not looking. It's not looking great. Obviously, after eight nine games, they're 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 down in seventh. Obviously, only five points off the top, but all the the sort of the underlying signs maybe not being as uh, as, as complimentary as, as Ronald Koeman would like. Yeah. Obviously, Gavi being a, a bright spark, but we don't want we don't want him to be put through the ringer in the same way that that Pedri has over the past three hundred and sixty five days. Um, so hopefully, uh, we'll we'll see some. Or maybe uh, a, a more sensible approach to to, to uh, managing the minutes of a seventeen-year-old who's playing in one of the the most demanding and and can um, and competitive leagues in world football. But um, it's probably the bit that you don't want to talk about because you know who whoever wants to predict who's going to get relegated. But who who do you think is is going down? Because at the moment it's it's looking like it's going to be three or four teams. Yeah, um, I said. In the summer, once everything happened or it did with Hatafe, um, I thought they'd be down there. I didn't think they'd be this bad that after nine games they wouldn't have a win. I thought they'd maybe have two, potentially at least, um, or one. But like for them to have none, and and, and the position, the, the the quality, what they've played has been it just hasn't been there. They've just been so 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 bad. Um, I was very concerned. I mean, fine, Bodlas was always going to go at some point, okay, but it was a case of how they reacted after that. I think, I, I just thought they panic bought. They just seemed to buy a lot of players. They didn't focus on the quality that they had done in previous years. Um, minor tweaks. They bought in too many. Um, and they've really, really struggled. And I think they're in danger already. I really, really do. Um, I can see Alaves going down as well. And then I think Levante are in trouble as well because they had such a good young manager at one point, in it, you know, and then they've already let him go as well. I think Celta are down there at the moment. They'll pull out. I think it'll be between Elche, Cadiz um, and Granada as well, who have suffered a massive drop-off um, as well. And after losing their coach, they're, they're excellent coach as well. So I think they're in trouble. But I'd say Atafia, I'd be really surprised if they got out of it, which is incredible considering what they've achieved the past few years, getting mm. into Europe and such, and everybody knowing them under board last. But it really has been a case of once he's gone, then everything has just completely fell apart. Um, they'll probably lose Jenny, um, lose Aaron Barry as well, who's a great talent. And I can't think, you know, he's going to stick around there. The Mike, the club is look at him in January as well. 
he's the sort of, I tell you what, he's the sort of player I'd bring in if I'm if I'm Newcastle and, and I'm looking at you know if they do end up spending money in January. Mm. Aaron Barry is the type of player exactly what I'm looking for. Combative, um little type in midfielder. He can play a bit, he can defend. He he's very suited, I think, to the Premier League as well. Organizational. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's the sort of person I'd I'd love to I'd love to see them uh, them get kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, well, there we go. There's some uh, some expert predictions for for how uh, the La Liga season is going to pan out. Uh, obviously, it's been it's been a whirlwind start to the campaign, but and uh, and and it's been interesting to see how Villarreal have done as well. Um, I'm sure that some of you who are listening will will maybe maybe follow the Villarreal's progress in uh, the coming months just to see if uh, see if our predictions and our our hypothesis is, is correct. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all from us on the Scout Football Podcast this week. Uh, I've been Joe Donahue as usual, and I've been joined by David Cartledge. Thank you very much for for tuning in. Stay safe, take care. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.